This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 536. Now I'm stuck feeling like I was back when I was just sitting on those three properties. Like I'm not, I want to be doing all this stuff and I want to be growing and I don't know where to go. I don't know what's next. And so I just want to make progress on the real estate investing side. But of course, you know, have all these things going and would love your advice on, on how to figure that out. What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets Podcast, here with another, uh, I don't know what we call these, consulting, consultation, QA, Ask Brandon episode uh, here of the Bigger Pockets Podcast. And as you notice, there's no David Green today. It's just me. And I'm going to be just answering uh, some questions from three real estate investors. Now, we did this a little while ago and it was a huge hit. People seem to love it. So we're going to do it again. And maybe we'll do it again in the future. I just sit down and spend 15 to 20 minutes talking with investors, whether like, like today we got three investors. One's like fairly new, one's kind of the middle of the road and one's a, a bit farther on their journey. And just see if I can help them get to the next level. And so we talked today a lot about focus. We talked today about like picking your niche, your crystal clear criteria. Uh, we'll go into things like, you know, how do you provide value to sellers? How do you build a, a follow-up machine to sellers? Kind of going off market. We talk about some of that stuff today and more. So hang tight for all of that. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years. And if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. 
Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high tech sensors that detect break ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24 7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. I think it's time to get into our conversations uh, with the three real estate investors from the Bigger Pockets community. And uh, we got first, we're going to talk with Mike. Second, we'll talk with Stephanie. And third, we'll end with Sterling. So let's start this thing off talking with Mike. Mike, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing very good. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, give us a little update on who you are and uh, where you're at and uh, where you're at physically and in your uh, real estate journey. Physically, I'm in Northeast Tennessee, and my real estate journey, I'm still very new. I've completed one deal. It was a triplex, and it was super simple. Like It was practically turnkey. Very cool. The problem that I'm having is my second one, which is what we'll get into, which is the second triplex as well. All right. So the second deal, it's actually a pretty common, (laughs) like... People who can do it, there was this common phrase in real estate, right? Nobody does one deal. It's like they do, if you do one, you can do more. But it's also a very common thing is people are like, well, I, I could figure out the first deal, like how to get there. I don't know how to figure out the second. And eventually they all figure it out. Everyone figures it out eventually, but it's a little bit tough sometimes. So let's go through uh, some of the reasons for that. Okay. Like, what are you stuck on? My biggest issue with it is letting go of control. The first one, like I said, it was pretty much turnkey. I don't have any issues with, doing the work or finding the deals it's letting it go to let the contractors do what they're supposed to i know more than what most people probably do i have a degree in engineering that focuses on construction and especially now that you know prices are gone sky high and the contractors are backed way up i'm like oh i'll just do it i'll just do it i'll just do it and i know that's not scalable I can justify it every way logically in my mind that there is no reason I should do this. There's none whatsoever. I could get done faster, start you know, having income. I've read books on like who, not how. I don't have issues with letting some people do some things, like the electrical, the HVAC. I have no problem with that. I don't want to touch that stuff at all. But things like the framing and the drywall and the painting and the carpet and the tile or not carpet, but the floor. I just, I'm having an issue letting those things go. When somebody says, you know, oh, it's $4,000 to paint. I know I don't have the time to paint the whole unit. It's going to cost me a whole nother month of holding costs. So I'm like, I should just pay the money. So I guess for you, my biggest question is, how do I let go of the things that I know how to do myself? I know you've experienced that. You said you had to just basically throw away your tools. I don't think I'm there yet because I'm <laughs> at the very beginning of my journey. Sure. But at some point, I'm going to have to step back and go, whoa, I can't do this. But I can't logically or realistically get it through my mind. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, I did. I had to throw away most of my tools to give away some, sell some, and throw away a whole lot of stuff that 
just to get me to stop doing it. And I, I still fall into that a little bit. So let me ask you a couple of questions. First of all, how much of this is, would you say, a money issue when you're faced with, let's say, going to go do some drywall and you're like, okay, I, I need to redrywall this wall here or this unit, or I need to redo the flooring in here. Is it, man, I am not paying some contractor $5,000 when I could do this in a week. Like how much does that play into it versus, man, I love doing drywall or I love doing the flooring. And I just, th- this would make me super happy to go spend time doing this this week. Do any of those come into play there? Financially, no. I've gotten to a point right now where I could pay somebody to do it, but I don't have the time to do it, but I can't. It's like, oh, should I give away $3,000, but it'll take me a whole extra month or, you know, so I could, I could afford it. Not the issue. The issue is just me simply being, I guess, too much of a penny pincher to let that go because I know I could do it. Yeah. So this is where, yeah, that's kind of where that, that question kind of focuses. Is it, is it a question of you know, some people are like, I do the work because I love doing the work, but most of us, it's not that way. Most of it's that it's almost seems unfair or it feels not right to pay somebody to do something when it's so much cheaper to do it ourselves. Like, is that a huge piece of this? Like, it's just so much cheaper to do it yourself. Yes. And especially when I enjoy it. Yeah. And I know it's cheaper. And it'll get done better. I'm assuming. Yeah. But in the long run of the business, I know that I have to let it go. There's no way I can get to 30 units or 100 units doing every one by myself. It's not feasible. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, That said, I'll throw a couple of thoughts that come to mind. First of all, unlike maybe some in the the real estate world, and even maybe as opposed to what I've said in the past, I don't think it's the world's worst thing to do your own work on a few projects. Like, I don't know if you're at the scalable point now where it makes a lot of sense. I mean, yes, you will go slower by doing it that way. Yes, you will build wealth a little bit slower. But over the course of a 20-year period, if you spend a couple years doing more of your own work to make sure the first few were solid and you save money and and it was done right, I just want to relieve that guilt from you that you're doing something wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. There is no right or wrong way to do this, right? There is fast and there is slower. And I would argue that that is a slower method. But, you know, at the same time, you're also saving money. And so maybe it allows you to grow a little bit faster. So anyway, first of all, just relieve any guilt you might have there. There is no right way. The way you're doing it is probably fine. Uh, I, I Most importantly is, do you feel like you're doing a thing that makes you fulfilled? Is it exciting? Is it not robbing time from your family? I don't know if you have you know family or kids or anything like that, but do you feel good doing that work? And you just feel like because of the podcast or because of people on the podcast or because of me, you feel like you should outsource that. How does that sit with you? I do feel a little guilty because I am taking time from my wife and my little boy and my twin girls, taking time from them. Okay. But in the back of my mind, in some weird way, I'm justifying it because I'm older and I'm thinking, if I get this done now and work hard on it the next few years, I can spend more time with them later. But I'm giving away years that, or days right now, that I will know I will never get back. Yeah. So yeah, it's hard. Yeah. No, I hear you. The other thing that comes to mind here is something that I had to really... I had to come out in my life because that so much of my identity was wrapped in the fact that I was a technician or I was a guy who did the job. I did the work. Part of that was growing up with, you know, the feeling like a real man changes his own oil, right? A real man changes his own plumbing or fixes the plumbing when it leaks. A real man does the painting because that's what a real man does. So there's these identity like things that were in my life. Anyway, this might not be the case for you, but like this, like 
I needed to do that work because that's what people do. And so I had to give up, first of all, that identity. And the second identity I had to give up was this idea that I am like yeah, the technician or I use the analogy in my head of a general or like a war, right? There is There are privates out there, there are lieutenants and there are generals. There's probably other things in there as well. But when I would approach doing things myself, drywall, flooring, paint, whatever, I might've loved to do it. It was fun and I, I don't regret it. Again, there's no right or wrong way here. But when I look at it, the reason I I defaulted to doing that. And the reason that I would say things like, well, it's just way cheaper for me to do the work is because my identity was that of a private in a war. Like I was the guy with the gun jumping out of the boat on uh, Normandy Beach. I wasn't the guy in my head. I wasn't the general back in the tent looking over the maps. Uh, And maybe that's a self-confidence issue, probably was. Uh, but also just a lack of experience. I wasn't experienced in being the general. But when I made that shift in my head that, no, I am, in fact, I like, like I have a performance coach and Jason Drees, and we talk about this all the time. He even uses that terminology to me all the time saying, is this what the general would do when I start getting sucked back into being a private? He's like, is this what the general would do? And I'm like, no, what would a general do? Like, and I kind of step into that identity. It seems almost silly. Like imagine like Patton or Heider Eisenhower or whatever, like grabbing this little gun and like, running on the beach. No, he's just going to get shot. And then, then the war's over because the leader isn't there to do it anymore. So changing that identity to, oh yeah, I am the general. I am the president. I am the leader of this organization. It makes it, in my opinion anyway, it makes doing their own work almost silly because you start seeing yourself in a whole new light that you would never be that piece. Does that resonate at all with you? Yeah. And that's part of what my training was when I got my engineering degree was to be project managers. I have the skills to do that. I know how to read a Gantt chart. I know how to arrange all this stuff. But in my mind, I'm still thinking like a private, even though I have the skill set to act like a general. Yeah, man. Yeah, I totally just got that. I totally just got that when you said that. It just I've always been thinking I should be doing it. I, like so I can point at it like an ego thing and go, "Yeah, I built that." I built that. I yeah. did that. Yeah. Because your identity, just like mine, for a long time, and maybe to some degree it still is, is built in that idea that like my value or a lot of my value in this is being able to point to that thing that I did. And so what I've changed, I guess I've been working at changing is today, like I get a lot of my self-esteem and my in my ego, and I don't mean that in the bad sense of the term, but like I get a lot of my my positive self-worth out of the fact that I'm now I'm no longer pointing towards the stairs that I built or the wall that I built. I'm pointing towards the machine that I built. Right. That's why I talk a lot about open door capital and the machine that I built there. That's the thing to be proud of because that's what a general is proud of. A general is not proud of like, well, maybe it's a little bit, but of like, hey, I went and shot one person or I went and like stormed this one little you know section. It's like, no, I just won the war. I just took the beach. I just took this country. Uh, and so it's just shifting what you're proud of. And, you know, and, and there's a million little things. Obviously, you've re- again, you've read the stuff like, you know, there's a dollar per hour attached to everything we do. And like, logically, you get all that stuff, which is 90 percent of people like don't even get that. Like they just all they're thinking about is the money. But yeah, I really think so much of it is wrapped in that identity. So I would encourage you to find physical ways. This is just something that I learned from my coach a long time ago. But like find physical ways to remind yourself that you are the general, you know, like. I don't know whether that's a, you, you find a, a war hat that you get on Etsy or eBay, right? Like, you know, some kind of general, I don't even know what, what a general wears, you know, like 
More like those little, the little stars or the bars or whatever they're on their five-star general. Like if you put like five stars on your wall, that would be an example, right? Like in your office, it's just five stars. And that's just a reminder every single day of your new identity, that you are shifting your identity. This is who I was. It served me well then. Like I needed to be the private at that point in my career because I wasn't ready to be the general, but now I'm the general. And then you're always asking, is this what the general would do? Is this what the leader would do? Is this what the CEO would do? Is that what Jack Welch would do? Is that what, you know, a president would do? And anyway, that seems to help me quite a bit. It's it's an ongoing battle. It's an everyday thing. But yeah, then you get really excited about the machine you're building, about the war that you're fighting versus the individual battles. Yeah, I need to focus on shifting my identity. Now, I do know that you're well-read. Do you have any books that you would recommend? (laughs) On that topic? Because I have read, and I say that, you know, in core quotes, (laughs) I've listened to Audible nearly every single book that you have ever suggested multiple times. Because during what I do for a living, I'm able to listen to audiobooks 12 hours a day. Oh, nice. Yeah. So is there any books out there on shifting your identity? The one David Green and I are going to write eventually. Uh, David Green and I are literally putting together notes every time we talk. Like, oh, yeah, let's put this in the book. So David and I are working on this book eventually. In the meantime, I mean, I've read books on identity, but like none stand out to me as like the book on the subject on this topic. I would say... You've probably read it, but 80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall. Have you read that one? That is in my wish list on Audible. And I will download that today. That made such an impact on me in terms of, the again, the logical side, but also just the more theoretical side of like the dollar per hour, how everything we do has a dollar attached to it. But it really made that clear to me that the 80-20 rule, which of course is 20% of what you do gives you 80% of the results or 20% of the, uh, 80% of the results come from 20% of the inputs of anything, right? And how he applies that concept to people and the roles that we play within our organization, I thought was just, just game changing. And so, you know, essentially it goes to the argument. I said this a few weeks ago, I think even here on the podcast where I said, I know a lot of people get really upset with CEOs of companies making $10,000 an hour, right? Or 10,000 times more than their $15 an hour employees. And people are like, that's unfair. And the truth is like, and they're like, well, is that person really working, uh, you know, 10,000 times harder than their $15 an hour employee? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, not harder, but they are 10,000 times more effective than their $15 an hour employee. And that's just the truth of it. Because that, like the 80-20 rule, it, it's like 80-20 is true, but then also 80% of the 20% is also the most effective of that group. And then 80% of that 20%, and then 80% of that 20%. So at the end of the day, you know, one person in an organization can be the equivalent effectiveness of 100 or 1,000 or 10,000. And... And again, it doesn't mean it's intelligence or the amount of hours they work, but that's what we want to get you to is the general is worth a hundred thousand privates. It's just, it's again, it's not something that the world wants to hear necessarily because we all want to believe that we're all equal and equal value, which we are. But in terms of effectiveness and getting something accomplished, yeah, yeah, the general is more important. So yeah, 8020 sales and marketing was an awesome one for that. All right. Thank you. Cool, man. Well, hope that helps. It does extremely. It has opened my eyes. Okay, good. Last thing I'll say is this is, is, and I say this all the time to people, but I would definitely look into getting with a, like a performance coach of some kind, like a business performance coach. If you can afford it, I mean, it's not always cheap. You might pay five or 10 grand a year for performance coach, but somebody that can continually remind you because it's like, it's like going to church, right? Why do people go to church? It's like to remind themselves, no matter what religion, it's to remind themselves of what they believe every week and to kind of like reinforce that worldview every single week because it just goes away over time. Performance coaching is like church for the mindset. It's like reminds you 
oh yeah, I'm the general. Oh, I've not been acting that way the last couple of weeks. I need to get into that. So yeah, if you can find a good performance coach, that's one of those things that you pay five or 10 grand a year and it's almost impossible not to have a payoff a hundredfold over the course of your life. So that'd be my final recommendation there. Thank you very much, Brandon. All right, good luck to you. Thank you, Mike. Have a good one. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, moving on. We are going to bring in, or I'm going to bring in, I guess I'm always talking to the, uh, the, the we, bring in Stephanie. So Stephanie, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. Well, awesome. Well, give us uh, updates. Just like I asked uh, Mike, where are you at uh, physically and where are you at in your real estate? So I'm physically in Denver, Colorado, and I started investing in 2008. I had always wanted to be a real estate investor and have cash flow, but I really didn't know too much about it and was just divorced, raising two small children, and 2008 came and I got an opportunity. So I bought my first rental and then I bought two more. And then I sat on those because it was super stressful being a landlord, not knowing what I was doing. And I just sat on those things and then in 2014, I really wanted to dive in and do more. So I took my equity and left Denver and went into three other markets, still with single family, small multifamily, and went up to 10 rentals. And then in 2018, my kids were leaving the nest. I'm like, I need to go bigger. Like I need to really do this thing. So I learned about apartment investing. I hired a coach. I am a GP on several syndication deals. And you know, that's great. But there were aspects that wasn't clicking. And so the pandemic came and I'm like, I'm going to buy a franchise. So I bought a business. Anyway, now I'm stuck feeling like I was back when I was just sitting on those three properties. Like I'm not, I want to be doing all this stuff and I want to be growing and I don't know where to go. I don't know what's next. And so I just want to make progress on the real estate investing side. But of course, you know, have all these things going and would love your advice on on how to figure that out. Yeah. So kind of the, the summary gist is like you've had a lot of success and you're trying to figure out like what's the next level and how do you get there? Is that a good summary? Absolutely. Yep. All right. Yeah. I feel like that's that's where I was when I was at that. I tell the story a lot, but I was at that conference. It was Joe Fairless's best ever conference in Denver. And I'm there and like speaking. And I was like, man, I like I've been resting on my successes and on my laurels, you know, too long here. I need to take this to the next level. I've just been kind of sitting for a number of years, buying like one property here and there and doing the podcast. And that's when I really like doubled down and started Open Door Capital. So a couple questions on that. First of all, the business that you bought, the franchise, what is that thing? Just out of curiosity. It's a children's martial arts franchise, really focused oh, no on personal development and character building for children. And that's with my son. That's like a legacy project and he's kind of managing that. Okay. So it's not like a day-to-day thing that's taking a lot of your time. Okay. Do you want to do more of that style of things like franchise stuff or you really just want to do real estate? You want to get into the kind of the next level of real estate? No, really the business was to fund more real estate. The idea is as a family, we, we're a family like real estate. My son's very into it and it's building our legacy and just having more income streams to further that. So definitely figuring out the next step in real estate investing is my goal. Okay. Right now, are you actively buying things or are you literally just, you haven't done anything in a while? I haven't done anything since 2019. Okay. Since actually the pandemic, I was getting ready to make my next move and then didn't. 
Okay. And then maybe last question. We'll see. I'll probably just keep asking you questions <laughs> for a little bit. But uh, where are your other rentals at like right now? Like where's your portfolio look like? Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth area, Kansas City, Missouri, and Memphis, Tennessee. Okay, good cash flow markets. And do you want to continue to build there or do you not care where you... Depending on what I do. Yeah, if it's something that I'm more active in, you know, I have property managers, I have things in place there. So that seems like it would make sense to leverage what I already have in those markets. Okay. And why haven't you yet? Like, why have you not... And maybe the question is like, what are you waiting for? What stopped you up until this point? Is it just, I don't know where the market's going or I'm not really sure the next step or I don't even know where to go. Like what's the holdup do you think? I feel like my holdup is shiny object syndrome. Like I I jump to, okay, next I'm going to do small to mid-size apartments with just a few JV people. And then we're going to rent them out short-term rental. And then I'm like, whoa, wait, I really want mobile home parks. And oh, but you know, the demographic is people are getting older. Maybe I should do that. And those are all like a lot of learning for me to take on, right? I haven't done some of those things before. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was, I, I know exactly how you feel. Cause I was, I, I was right there too for years. Like I was just going like, there's so many things to do and like, this is really important. And no, this could be really good too. And, and today when people ask why I got into mobile home parks heavy and like why I chose that. And then a lot of other people did because I did, I think the, the funny thing is like the only, the best answer I have is the reason I chose it is because I chose it. You know, the reason I went into it is because I picked it. And so at some level, it's like that quote from the book Traction. It says, it's more important that you decide than what you decide. And I had to finally like internalize that inaction wasn't leading me anywhere. That So A, inaction leads me nowhere. So I had to do something. B, it just doesn't really matter that much what I do because I am smart enough and capable enough and you are smart enough and you are capable enough and you and, and driven enough that you're going to succeed in any of them. It just doesn't matter whatsoever. You could be like, I'm going to do vacation rentals and you'd kill it at that. If you were focused, I mean, imagine like, can you imagine that life where like you're a hundred percent clear on where you're going and you're like, this is what I'm building and this is where I'm going. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, Stephanie's going there. Like, could you not succeed at that? Like you'd kill it, right? Like, you know, you'd kill it. And so it's, it's really just a matter of just picking. And I don't know why we, cause I I'm, I'm in the boat too. Like, it's so hard to pick that to pick a thing because I think it's FOMO, right? It's I'm, if I pick the wrong thing or, or there it's like part shiny object and part, like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to just pigeonhole myself into one thing. I go into vacation rentals and then, oh man, I should have gotten self-storage. That would have been fun. Or I did self-storage and oh man, I should have done, you know, senior care because that's a growing demographic. Does that play, does that resonate in you as well? Definitely, definitely. FOMO, I kind of want to do it all. It all sounds so fun. And then of course the fear part, like, well, this would be, you know, apartments are saturated, all the things that go on in your head. Yeah. And it's true. Apartments are saturated, but so is mobile home parks. So is self-storage. It's all a very, in fact, buying just normal houses and normal rentals in any, any market, right? It's all so saturated and crazy right now. And there's really no sign that it's going to get any better. I mean, like, yeah, we may see a crash at some point, but we may not. This may just continue until we're just the equal to Europe where everything's just super expensive. So, so because of that, we can't really, you know, obviously make that decision one way or another. So again, it just goes back to just saying like agreeing in your head, I am going to make a decision. Now I can put a date on my calendar and I like doing this whenever I have a big decision to make and I've been waffling on it. 
I like to stick a date on my calendar like two weeks out and like circle it and you know put on your Google calendar on your wall calendar and say decision day. Like that's the day I'm going to make a decision. I have to know 100% clear on that day what I'm going to do. And I talk a lot about like in the new book, The Multifamily Millionaire, I talk about the crystal clear criteria, right? It's like your location, condition, price range, property type, and profitability. Like what do I need to make it a good deal? If you can define those five things by decision day and just acknowledge the fact that A, it doesn't matter. B, you can always correct course or add on things later. Uh, but C, knowing that you have to become an expert today. That's the biggest thing I noticed in the past, in the past like three years of real estate. This is probably the biggest shift I've seen in the last three years is it's, you're no longer able to be an amateur and do okay in real estate anymore. Like maybe on the small level, you go buy a duplex, you go buy a, a single family house, you go flip a house. Maybe you can be an, as someone amateur and get lucky once or twice, but you're competing against just such talent today that the only way to win is to go a mile deep. And then once you're a mile deep, like we went a mile deep and opened our capital on, on mobile home parks. We've bought over 2,500 units now. Botten? Is botten a word? I'm going to go with botten. <laughs> All right, we've bought. We've bought over <laughs> over twenty five hundred units, and now we're going apartments as well. Because now we're we are a mile deep. I think we are the smartest mobile home park investor in the country. And of course, I'm sure other con- companies are saying the same thing. But I'm pretty confident. Like we we know more than ninety nine point nine nine percent of the world on mobile home parks. Now we are going into apartments, and eventually, once we get a mile deep on that, and we're really really good at it we're going to probably go into self-storage. Or what I like better is I, I, I love the idea of like the senior housing. I think like you pointed out, the demographic trends are moving that direction. That's what Kiyosaki was talking about the other day when we interviewed him. But so is self-storage. That's also moving in the positive direction. So is Section 8 stuff. I mean, I think the government's just going to be like printing out money to give to landlords over the next 20 years. So Section 8 could be a great option or just find a way, private-public partnerships, huge. Uh, there's all these these trends happening right now that, yeah, you can't screw it up. You know, I said a little bit ago to, to Mike, I said like, there's no right way, right? Like you go do one, you'll never know you chose the wrong one. That's probably the the thing that I tell myself a lot and maybe the most when I'm trying to make that hard decision is you'll never know you chose the wrong option. Like you'll go with one and then you'll do awesome at it. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm glad I chose this one. Like you're not gonna look back and be like, oh man, I only made $18 million instead of 25. Like I could have through, cause you don't know, you wouldn't know, you don't know how much you would have made in the other niche, right? So does that make sense? The idea of just putting a date on your calendar saying that's decision day, you know, I'm going to do whatever research I need to between now and then, but something tells me you probably already have done the research enough that you could make the choice. It's more of just, you haven't sat down to make the choice. Does that resonate? Yeah, I think the crucial part for me with what you said is go a mile deep where instead I'm skipping a lot, like going so far deep with all of them. So yeah, I'll research a little on, on one aspect and then one asset and one market and I'll just get stuck there instead of going deep. So that's very helpful. Well, good. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, I really think you need to go a mile deep. And by a mile deep, you also get really good at certain niches within that. Like, let's say you were like, okay, I'm going to do senior housing. Okay, great. But let's go even deeper on that. Like, what's the need for senior, senior housing? What can you be the best in the entire country at doing? For example, what I think would be really fun, I've said this on the podcast before, and somebody will try it and then tell me that it either worked or didn't, but, or I'll try it someday. But I want to build like, 20 little single family houses in like a horseshoe with like a little like event, a little like center in the middle, you know, a shuffle ball court or shuffle. Is that what's called? Shuffle ball? 
shuffle, yeah, shuffle, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, whatever. Like old people's sport. Uh, and like a little like room for them to gather for like birthday parties. And like 20 single family homes all in a little U-shaped in like middle America, put it in the middle of Ohio in some like medium sized town. And like, like all like, you know, single level, no stairs, walks right in. Everything's like just age in place. Like I, I love this idea and I would love to build that someday and try that out. Like I don't, I don't, there's probably somebody out there doing it, but could like, let's say you just were like, yeah, I'm going to do that thing. And this is just an example, right? Hypothetical. You're like, I'm going to learn everything I can about this idea of putting a bunch of single family houses on one little property and then renting them all out. And then you might find, oh, that doesn't work. The numbers just don't make sense there. Well, let's tweak it and try it this way. And then let's tweak it this way. And eventually with all your little tests and tweaks, eventually you're going to find the math that works out in this super unique thing that nobody else is really doing that you can just be like the best at. And then you just pour heavy into that because you're a mile deep, not just in the niche, but in that like sub niche within it. Then it's just rinse and repeat. Then you're just like building this machine that can just build a ton of these things or whatever it is that you end up doing, right? You're just building a machine. So yeah, mile deep, it's it's huge. And then again, remind yourself, you got a long life ahead of you. Like we're all like, you're gonna live another hundred years probably. With the rate that like technology is improving, like we're all gonna live until forever, unless we get hit by a bus. And so like, you got time. This this whole next five years, you could spend going a mile deep and then the next five years go a mile deep on something else or add in a thing to go a mile deep on. I mean, I've only been in mobile home parks for two years and I feel like we are a mile deep. We're like 10 miles deep. And so it, it scales pretty quickly. Uh, one more One more question to throw at you from the focus part, I mean, besides the focus part, do you feel like you have a good team yet? Like, do you, do you plan to go it alone? Do you've got partners? Do you have, do you have the ability right now to go big into one of these things uh, in terms of team wise? Yes and no. I have a, you know, networks and close people that I've uh, built relationships with in real estate investing. We're all kind of doing different things and we talk about coming together on something, but what that thing is, is out there. So I feel like if I could come up with some unique thing, like you described, I could bring together a team or go, you know, I feel like I could do that. Yeah, that's, that's so, what I found to be so true in my own life and other people's lives is this idea that when, when you are confident and you are moving in a direction, people naturally want to surround themselves with people who are moving in and that are confident, right? So as soon as you're like, I am the, you know, whatever, the small, you know, the 20 to 50 unit apartment complex burr queen of America. And that's what I do. And I do it better than anybody else. And this is where I'm going. And I got my vision. And in three years, we're going to own a thousand units and we're going to syndicate to be able to do that. This is where I'm headed. And it's broadcasted. Everyone's like, yeah, go follow Stephanie. Let's do it, Stephanie. Cause you know where you're going. This is like the world craves that leadership that just has the confidence to like start moving. And, uh, I can totally see that with you is like, you'd just be like, people just flock to your side to want to be a part of that. And then raising money becomes easier because everyone's like, oh, that person knows where they're going. I can invest with them because they're confident. And uh, yeah, that is just fun. It's just fun because you're just in total like alignment with like your vision and your goals and what you're doing and your team. And you just like feel crystal clear. And it's, it's like the best feeling to just be in that alignment. So yeah, you got this. I love I really it. feel good about Thank that. Thank you. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, Stephanie. Yeah, I want I want to see you do it. And then you got to come on the Bigger Pockets podcast and tell us you're like, hey, I did it, and this is what happened. So a don't year be from now. mad if I do your thing. <laughs> yeah, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> I love it. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much. Any final questions before I get you, let you out of here? No, I appreciate all your time. Thank you. All right, thanks, Stephanie. 
All right, moving right along, everyone. Hope you're enjoying today's show so far. Real quick before we bring in Sterling, I will say this. If you've not yet left a rating or review for the Bigger Pockets podcast, wherever you listen to shows, that helps us out a lot. So please do so. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker and Dunlop, 
one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker & Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com pockets. All right, Sterling, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's hear your story. I mean, what are you, uh, where are you at physically and where are you at in your real estate? So I'm from where I'm in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, right now with real estate, I've been doing it for a little less than two years to 10 doors with a partner. And then I got a, a primary residence that a rehab value add and moving forward from there, we'll probably sell it after two years. Okay. And you got a full-time job, I'm assuming then in there. Yeah. So like right after this all started, I ended up starting an LLC, uh, just basically construction rehabs, things like that, that tie in with what I was doing, which was adding value to multifamily, small multifamily. Okay. That makes sense. And you, you own that company and you, do you work day to day or do you have a bunch of employees or what's that like? Uh, so it's sole proprietorship, like one and a half full-time guys. That's the best way to word it. That makes sense. All right. And where are you headed in your real estate? Like, where, what can I help you with today? Yeah. So, you know, I'm still working towards getting more smaller multifamilies, but then like I'm trying to make the leap basically that you guys have talked about going from level two to four and not necessarily slowly building up or whatever. I'm still taking the time to learn. I'm tracking all the metrics I can where my hours are going because I currently manage our properties and making that leap from two, four units in a duplex into a, you know, say 24 unit apartment. That's a value add situation. Trying to get my foundation in place financially, experience, partners, the, you know, the, the things that, that will help me be taken more serious in that, in that route. I'm starting to find off market apartments. So contacting the owners directly at that level, I can still pretty much find out, you know, just a Google search, basically find out who they are, where they are, uh, give them a phone call. But one of the things that I think, and this, this, is, this is kind of my question for you, or this is my question, as far as building those relationships that will lead to opportunities, the last example I can give you is a 24 unit. Got to talk to the owner. It's been under contract for a little while. Super great guy. There was no place that I could offer value to him. So I just thanked him for his time. I'll check back in in a couple of weeks or a month, however long. But as far as building those relationships, creating relationships in that manner, what if you had any advice there? Yeah. So when you say you couldn't really add value, I mean, did, did he just not want to sell? Is that the idea? He just didn't want to sell? Uh, it was already under contract, I see, so okay. he's letting go of a good chunk of his portfolio. He is selling three more at the you know beginning of next year's tax year, so I definitely want to keep that open. Yeah, so you you want to keep a relationship with this guy, but also just in general other people and try to just keep that up? Is that kind of the goal? Yes. Yeah, so the first thing I would say is to not rely on, and not that you are, but not rely on 
remembering and, oh yeah, I got to do that and that kind of stuff is to so systematize outreach and off-market interactions that it becomes almost just a machine in itself. And so like, like if people saw the level of like tracking that we do in terms of like broker outreach and off-market outreach and wholesaler outreach, like we are so like, we don't forget that stuff because every three weeks or every three weeks, you know, it pops back up. Here's the nine brokers you need to reach out to this week. Here's the five owners that we're talking with in this area we need to talk to this week. And this is what the outreach looks like. And this is where we're at. And we keep track of notes with each of their conversations. Like, oh yeah, how's Jill doing? You know, like your wife, is she through the, you know, whatever yet? And so like, we are very meticulous with our tracking and with our systems around that outreach. And I think that most people and myself included for years just left it to like what I could remember doing and what I think I'll do later versus like sit down for an hour with a pen and paper and you will have a nice system worked out. Like the first thing we do is this a week later, we follow up with this third, you know, two weeks after that, we send them a letter three weeks after that, we send them a little trinket in the mail, like some stupid little, like, I don't know, like frying pan. That's really cool. Right. Kind of giftology style. Right. And then three weeks after that, we do this other thing. And now we've got basically, they call it an internet marketing. They call it a drip campaign. Like if you join most, you know, join an email list, you get a drip campaign, which means every week or every two weeks, there's like this, these are the emails you get every week for like a year. And so it looks like you're just getting these like random emails from this company, but really you're on a drip. You're very much, it's just dripping like an IV drip to you every couple of weeks. We just took that same concept and applied it to off-market and to just relationship building in general. And it's amazing the effect that it has because like they don't know that you're doing that. They think it's just completely random. I mean, even Steve Sims, like we interviewed him, he's the author of the book, Blue Fishing. He would talk about if he's at like a hotel, he'll like tear up like a page out of a, whatever, a magazine at the hotel and like write on the, Hey, I saw this picture. I thought of you and then send it in the mail, right? Like little things like that. Again, that was kind of like off the top of his head. If you can find ways to systematize those kind of like organic quote unquote outreach moments, people just think that's cool. And then you're so much more likely to get a deal from one of those people. And then also you're able to go way wider, right? Like how do you get 500 of those people on your list? And every week you're hitting them with new stuff and new phone calls and new conversations. Like that's how you build that pipeline that keeps going. Does that, does that sound like something you can do? Or does that sound helpful at all? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What other, what other stuff you got for me? I mean, anything else I can help you address on there? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, this is kind of a different direction, but please. Okay. So for me, like specifically, I haven't been able to technically afford any of the four properties sure. that I own or have ownership of. I came in at a really like low income level and then it hasn't necessarily increased. None of the profits are getting touched. We're trying to tap into, you know, compound effect, things like that. Yeah. So I've had, you know, the more experience, the more things I can do, the more stuff I'm able to take on, I have the ability to increase my income, but I don't see it beating increasing my investing in real estate. So one of the things that I'm focusing on is, you know, obviously I have to make, you know, for me, it's like $4,000 a month to survive, but too far past that, that's where like, I'm choosing to spend my time trying to land an apartment complex, three duplexes, or, you know, these, these other things I'm, I'm actively working towards that fits my goals. It fits the direction I'm, I'm heading in. I just kind of wanted to get your input on that. Yeah. A couple of thoughts. I don't know if this quite addresses it, but let me ask this this way. How many hours a week would you say you put into the construction side of your business, like of your life? How many hours a week do you work in that? Around 30. Okay. And so 
it sounds like there's this belief in there that says like, if I wanted to make more than $4,000 a month, I would have to put in more than the 30 hours that I'm currently doing. Does that sound like a logical progression there? Uh, if we leave out the value add real estate investing side of it, yes. Okay. So I guess I would, first of all, push back on that thought a little bit and start asking a better question of something like, well, how do I work half those hours? How do I work 15 hours a week in the construction side, but bring in $30,000 a month or $20,000 a month? That's a fun question to start answering, right? Like, how would you do that? And I don't have an answer for you right now, but I guarantee you there's construction guys out there that are working 15 hours a week that are making $20,000 a month profit that they can then dump into real estate. So now you get the best of both worlds, right? The reason I bring that up is because oftentimes I think we we get stuck in this pattern of like, of where we're raised, right? Dollar per hour. We make money for the amount of hours we put in. So if we want to make more money, we got to put in more hours. But when we change the paradigm entirely and we start looking at it like, you know, lateral thinking of, wait, how do I work fewer hours, but make more money? We start asking that question repeatedly and you start taking time out of your week every week, maybe a couple hours every week. You're just like literally sitting in a room in silence with no phone and all you got is a notebook and a pen. And you just keep asking that question to yourself is like, how do I work half as much and make five times more? Or how do I make more by working less? And your brain will start to come up with, with answers to that, which gives you the best of both worlds. So now you're making 10, 15, 20 a month in profit and you've got all this time now to go after the real estate, which now you can fund the real estate yourself. So I guess that's just one one way I'd, I'd answer that or to look at that is it's totally doable. And I feel like I'm talking to myself 10 years ago or 15 years ago when I started my own construction company where like, I just didn't think that way. I just thought like, this is what I make and this is how I do it. But had I been asking myself better questions and had I been thinking of myself as the general, and like we talked about earlier today with Mike, the idea of like, like, oh no, I wouldn't even consider doing my own work. I mean, like, cause that's not what a general would do. I would never, like, all I do is attract talent and let my team do what they do, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, like right now, if, if I were to, I don't know if this is gonna be helpful or not, but I'll just spitball here. If I were to today start a construction company and I knew I, ne- I didn't wanna work more than 10 hours a week at this construction company, the first thing I would do is hire an amazing marketing person who's really good at getting getting like direct mail marketing and ads and all this stuff out there. I would hire a salesperson right away. And I know like we can have like, how do you afford this stuff? But I can, I can get to that. But I'd hire a salesperson who does all the calls and does that. I'd hire a foreman to oversee the jobs, right? And to do bids. And then I'd hire a crew of like, let's say, I don't know, whatever, two, three, four people. So total, I've got, let's say six people on staff going to be costing me somewhere in the range of, per month in salaries. And it feels like an excessive amount of money until like you ask the question, if you had a person full-time doing marketing, full-time doing like the sales presentations and somebody to oversee the whole, the construction side and do the, the work, your only job is to meet with your, and then probably an integrator in there too, somewhere. Your only job would be, or my only job would be to meet once a week with my, like each department head, if I was integrator and make sure they've got metrics and goals. And for example, the marketing person would have a very clear goal on how many leads they need to track. The salesperson would have a number of goals of conversions. The foreman would have a number of hours and profitability, and then the workers would all have their goals as well. Could you not make fifty, dollars $100,000 a month in profit? Totally doable. It's just, it's a different way of thinking, right? I would never even think of approaching a construction company anymore of like, I got to go out and buy a hammer so I can go do, build a construction company. It just wouldn't even occur to me, right? Because I've just... I'm not there. Does that, does that help at all? No, hundred percent. 
That definitely helps. And it was definitely either or yeah. lens I was looking through. So yeah, if we can shift that to like, how do I get both? And how do I change my role, my identity to go full circle here to do doing that? Yeah, that's definitely a big piece of it. And then there, there was one more thing I was going to bring up too. Uh, oh yeah, another idea just to throw at you. If you're good at the construction side of things, I wonder if there isn't a, a marketing angle here. And I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. But where you reached out, like let's say you had a list of 500 multifamily property owners in your area that were, I mean, this might take a few weeks to compile this list and to drive by the properties or whatever you're going to do to identify. Like if you had a list of 100 or 200 or 500, like these are the properties I want to acquire in this area. And then you marketed to those people specifically and called it like, at cost construction. And you literally sell, sell them on this idea of like, listen, I own a construction company. I, I charge a lot of money to people. I will not charge you a dime of profit. I will do it at cost. Whatever I'm paying my employees and my insurance and all that cost, I will do any construction job for you at cost. Why would we do that? Because I want to build relationships with real estate investors in this area. And that's what I'm doing. And that's the value I can provide. Because now you're not losing anything other than your time, which really you're not the one doing the work. You'd hire people to do it. Like if somebody came to me and was like, I will do your work at cost just to build a relationship with you, Brandon, I'd be like, yes, yeah, I will hire you right now. And so anyway, it might be an interesting way for you to provide value to all these people at a large scale. So when they are ready to sell, of course, they're going to go to you because they feel like they owe you. And it almost creates this like reciprocity thing there. So anyway, I, I don't know if that would work or not, but that I think would be a really fun test is to even start with 20 people or 10 people is like, hey, we'll do work at cost. So I don't know. How's that feel? Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> All right, well, I don't luck. know if it's exactly that, but that's, yeah, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's something there. And this is where the, the, this is where the idea of sitting in a room for two hours just comes in so handy. Or I, I love to like, I have a masseuse from the four seasons, like hotel comes to my house once a week and literally like 90 minute long. I did it yesterday. It's the best 90 minutes of my week. It is not a relaxing massage. She's like a therapist. So she's like hurting me. It's like a tattoo the whole time, but it's like 90 minutes where I get to just think no phone, no nothing. And I just think, and that's when things like that come up in the first idea. Like that idea is probably dumb, but you start playing with it and you start marinating on it. And then it starts, and like that is a $10,000 per hour task. Those times where you're thinking through those ideas, because if even just one of them worked out and led to a huge deal down the road that made you a million dollars, it's, it's huge. So yeah, make sure you're taking that time every week to, to just think. Thank you. All right, dude. Thank you, Sterling. Hope you have a uh, great week and uh, good luck to you, man. You got this. Excited to see where you head up, head head to, and end up. So, good luck. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining today. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the podcast. And uh, if, like I said earlier, if you didn't leave a rating review yet for the show, please do so. It really helps out a lot. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel at Bigger Pockets. You can follow Bigger Pockets all over social media. You can follow me personally at Beardy Brandon over on Instagram or TikTok. And you can follow David Green. Of course, he's not here today, but you can follow David Green at David Green 24. That's the number two, four at the end of his name. Green with an E. So thanks everyone for joining us today and hope you have a fantastic week. For biggerpockets.com, my name is Brandon Turner, signing off. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units 
Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.